Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the edge of the earth, it really is flat, but it has a spectacular view. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 208. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Scott. This is Cash. And I'm your host, Dawn. When is the deadline for getting the script for the podcast? Now? Uh Uh-oh. Okay, this week, after months of thorough investigation and focus group research, it was determined that this podcast was the perfect time to... Answer emails. Warren writes, paraphrasing, what is the value of this used Jeremy number 259? Now, you can't obviously see it unless you go to the website, but it's a used canceled Germany number 259. It has a significant value used and a rather insignificant value mint. So what's the value of uh, a stamp like this? Well, those cancels... The canceling devices, obviously, this is, these are inflation issues, and after the war, you know, it was everybody for themselves, and these canceling devices were uh, turned up in all sorts of places, meaning that they could use genu- genuine canceling devices to add cancels to stamps that weren't actually used. And since the values changed so rapidly during the inflation period, used stamps are sought after, genuinely used. Well, to meet the need, these people with canceling devices decided, hey, I can make a little bit of money. I'll just cancel a bunch of stamps. And so you have fake cancel, basically. Not fake. They're not fake cancels. They're just cancels that don't belong on the stamps because they were never properly used. And that's what drives the value of the used stamps is if it's genuinely used, then... uh, because there are so few of them, then it, they're generally sought after. But uh, sometimes these fake, quote-unquote, cancels can be uh, annoyingly prolific. So the value of a stamp, basically, that has this sort of thing where it's so much more valuable. You it Literally, I think it's like 75 to to $100 or more. I, I don't look have a mickle in front of me. I'll tell you, all the ones I have are genuine. Yeah. <laughs> but mint, it's literally, I mean, wallpaper. People used to literally paper their walls with these. I mean, it might be like a 25-cent stamp. Well, I've got a, I've got a spot in my stamp den that's papered with this sort of stuff. Yeah. So You can't sell it. Yeah. So what's the value of an uncertified used German stamp like this that may have a catalog value of a couple hundred dollars, but who knows if it's real? Maybe somewhere between 1% and 10% of the catalog value. 
Oh, I'd say 10% is really, really high. Yeah, 10% is really high, but, you know, you never know what sucker, I mean, collector you're going to meet. (laughs) How about gambler? How about gambler? Gambler? Yes, that Mm -hmm. that would be appropriate. Um, Because really, that's what you're doing. When you're buying used uh, stamps like this, um, unless you actually have specific knowledge in this area, you're really taking a gamble. And you're probably, it's just like, at the casino, you're probably going to lose, but hey, you might win too. Yeah. And you probably have better odds than at the casino. Yeah. Alan asks, when is the next SMQ coming out? Ah. Well, why don't we tell people first what the SMQ is? The SMQ stands for Stamp Market Quarterly, and it is a valuing guide for PSE graded stamps. Not all graded stamps, just PSE graded stamps. Well, explain that a little bit. You can use it for all stamps. Well, you can, but it's not uh, usually stamps graded by other entities can sell for more or less depending on the stamp because PSE graded stamps are graded by PSE graders and experts well uh, based uh, on the PSE grading system and if than, they're graded by somebody else that grading system may not be exactly the same well more than that though the data for the SMQ is gotten from the sale of PSE graded stamps that is true and so other grading companies are not included in the database right so and this differs you know cuz in the Scott catalog they have a valuing supplement in their specialized catalog every year. And the uh, one of the ways that the values differ is that the Scott Catalog editors will look at stamps graded, not only stamps graded by other companies, but also ungraded stamps where they've looked at the picture and estimated the grade. Yep. So when is it coming out? Uh, we do it now about once every six months because it's online. You literally can pull it up anytime you want. So yes. what they're actually asking is when is the old fashioned one where you go out, chop down a tree, well, it's gonna shave be, it into pieces of yeah, paper yeah, yeah, and then yeah. print on it. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be another couple months. Um, I think we put our last one out in October or November. Yeah. And Quarterly's a loose term. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say. Re, you know, realistically, before the website was uh, as dynamic and the internet was as dynamic as it is today, uh, court, it, putting out a book quarterly was actually a good thing. And early on in grading, the prices changed fairly rapidly. For the most part, uh, prices are don't change rapidly enough to really justify a quarterly book anymore. The few items that change over the course of six months can be updated easily online. Well, more than that, too, is the real changes in values are at the very top end of the, the grading system. Correct. And so... The book you, only prints prices for grade 98, uh, grade 50 to 98. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even if there are prices on the website for other grades... Uh, because the space is so limited, the book doesn't encompass everything that's on the website anyway. Yeah, so if you want a book, it'll it'll be out. If you really want the information and don't care how you get it, go online and get it. It's always available online. Degar asks, 
When do you use tracking on packages? Hold on, say that again because you <clears throat> had serious vocal fry there. I know. <laughs> your sinuses are getting Welcome, in. Welcome to the desert. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> oh, your always beach, the first morning I'm just like, oh. Your beach sinuses <clears throat> are acclimating. I have some whiskey in the office if you want some. Oh, I learned all of <laughs> Go get it now. <laughs> I should have offered it to you before we started recording. <laughs> should have been here last weekend. Man, okay. I was drinking lots of whiskey. There was a yeah, g- I got to talk oh. to you about that. There is a great... Can we have some hold whiskey? On. What did we watch last night where they were talking about whiskey? The YouTube? And most whiskey actually comes out of uh, Indiana. There's a oh, huge, huge... It's like a grain thing. Yeah, MGI yeah. or something. I forget yeah. what the name of it is, but... All these like boutique places that are making their own whiskey and everything. Actually, they all get it from the same place in uh, Indiana. And so you have to look at the label and see not where it is bottled, but where it is fermented, you know, where it's made. Distilled. Where it's distilled. And if it says distilled in Indiana, then it's from this company that is like the largest distillery in the world. What country is the largest consumer of whiskey in the world currently? Oh, I'm going to guess United States. India. India? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I was going to say yeah. Great Britain, but by a long, by a far and wide margin currently. Oh, mm. interesting. Does that include whiskey and rye and scotch and everything? It's all the same thing. I know, but they call it different stuff just because. You know. They could sell more of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't like whiskey, but I'll I'll drink rye. <laughs> Which is whiskey. That's, that's like making mm-hmm. plate varieties, major varieties in the catalog, major numbers in the catalog. Oh yeah, yeah. It's pretty much it's exactly the same, the same issue. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the whiskey podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, back to Degar and tracking on packages. Mm-hmm. Well, since we don't mail stuff, I, I guess we don't. I need to read it. She still, she still needs to re-ask the question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why, why don't you read the question? Okay. Degar asks, when do you use tracking on packages? Well, since we don't mail many packages from the podcast, not very often. But at PSC, we mail packages every day. Yeah, lots of them. And uh, we use tracking on everything. If it has stamps in it, it gets tracked. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're sending uh, three stamps from 1978 or if you're sending one stamp from or 20 stamps from 1862. It doesn't matter. They get tracked because we want to make sure the stamps get from point A to point B. Yeah, actually, that's a problem. And it's a problem with PSE and PF and APS and everybody else. We charge like 20, what is it, 2485? Uh, twenty four eighty five per package because we send everything overnight express mail, and the whole idea is is it's tracked. It's very in, in the mail stream, incredibly short period of time, and we have never had a loss. So that's a biggie. Yes. Now for lower value items, though, you can still get tracking. It just doesn't zip through the mail as quickly and get to its destination. But, you know, we have customers who absolutely have it the ne- have, have to have it the next day. Yeah. And then we have other guys that say, well, just send it first-class mail because I already have insurance and I don't care if somebody steals it or it gets lost or 
damaged. Yeah, we still don't do that, though. I don't think we send anything out regular mail. How about eBay? Uh, I'll tell you that I don't well, use tracking unless the item is over 100 bucks. I was just going to say, most sellers have a have a, a dollar limit in mind, and anything over that, they use tracking. And it really depends on how big your operation is and what you uh, consider uh, just losses in the course of business. Yeah. I mean, if you... If you're a millionaire and you can handle a you know a fifty or a hundred dollar uh, loss every once in a while, hey, that's perfectly fine. If if you haven't if you barely have two nickels to rub together, then you might be putting tracking on uh, ten dollar items. Well, yeah. Um, if you're putting tracking on ten dollar items, that might be why you only have two nickels to rub together. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and, I mean, but but a lot, uh, now I see a lot of. Uh, I know eBay likes to push their free shipping, but the sellers usually incorporate that at least part of it somehow, either in their price or they actually charge for shipping. Yeah, so. but you can't because if you got the merchandise, the first, the fourth class merchandise, little brown label. That's, I think, $2.35 now. Certified mail is about 5 bucks. But you can add tracking to a first-class package for almost nothing. No, two eighty-five or two thirty-five. I don't think so. I think it's cheaper than that. How much is the little brown? I don't use the brown If labels. it's a first-class package, and the key is it has to be a package, I think right. it's free. Right. No, um, I think they track it for free, but you have to go take it to the post office window and actually request it. Oh, I got to follow that up then because the only two things that I do is certified U.S. and eBay, uh, which charges about eight bucks. We'll see if it's. But we'll do it worldwide. If it's a letter, yes, you have to go with certified because they won't track a letter. Yeah, you have to have a package, so you just have to make it thick enough so that it's a package, and then you can add tracking. And I don't think it costs anything to add tracking to a package. I have to look up whether it's cheaper for that or certified. Uh, one of the biggies, though, is if it goes overseas, really your only alternative is the eBay. And it, eBay tracking really isn't tracking so much as it's just insurance. That if it gets lost, they know it was mailed. They can go to the post offices and see where it goes and then say, yeah, okay, it disappeared. Well, most, We're going to refund the person and just Most take it countries, I found when I receive stuff from overseas – uh, they, a lot of times they'll send it registered, but it'll get here and I'll still get the little, I'll get the, the tracking slip or the package slip, even though it's, it's small enough to fit in my box. Uh, I'll still get, I'll still have to go pick it up and sign for it because it was registered in the country of origin. Yeah. Um, and I know they used to throw those things in the regular mail once they got here. They just ignored the registration, but I guess they've stopped doing that. Well, in the United States they have, in Britain they have, in Canada they have. But a lot of countries, a whole lot of countries, if you mail something, it's registered up to getting to that country's border. And then after that, it's valueless. As a matter of fact, it's worse than that because what it does is it marks your envelope and says, there is something valuable in here. Um, Please deliver it. We trust you. Yeah. And uh, that's my, my biggest losses, and they have been for quite a while, is Mexico and Russia. And I do not, I will not send anything valuable to Mexico or Russia. If you buy something, you know, for a couple bucks, I'll take the chance. But for a while there, I was losing half my stuff that I sent to Russia. Half of it, literally one out of two would disappear. 
It's just, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I've heard Italy was an, another place it was difficult to send stuff to, but I never had any problem with Italy. No, nor me, and also China. They say that there's problems in China. I have never had a problem with China. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Yeah, but Russia and Mexico I've had problems with. Anyway, tracking. Use it. Yes, when, whenever it makes economic sense. Absolutely. And if you're actually sending stamps, it makes economic sense. Philately, which is their eBay name, asked, Can you please tell me if the gum is clean and relatively white, as this set often comes with darkened gum? Are there any thins, inclusions, adhesions, toning, or other condition issues? Well, yeah. it would help if we knew what stamp you were talking about. I see that there's like a, a place there where probably there was a picture. We can't see it. But this is also, uh, Stu Katz asked the same question. If you put in a listing hinged well we're not talking about ebay we're just talking about stamps in general aren't we yeah or expertizing or expertizing yeah if you put down hinged versus previously hinged versus never hinged so if you listed a stamp that's never hinged which this stamp was and they're asking is the is it clean and white um if it was toned would it still be never hinged yes it would still be never hinged but Obviously, the gum is toned, so therefore, that if you're grading the stamp, it would be a deduction on the grading. And if it's severe enough, it may even be mentioned on a certificate. So, how about uh, where do we let's let's work with that uh, expertizing because expertizing is the easiest because eBay you can you know do anything and try to get away with it. But from a standpoint of PSE for expertizing. Where do where is the line drawn between never hinged, previously hinged, hinged? Um, let's go ahead and throw in regummed and uh, no gum also. Well, no gum is obviously no gum. Well, so is um, regum. <laughs> well, for valuing purposes, we consider uh, regum to be a no gummed price. But um, for hinging, obviously evidence of hinging will knock it out of the never hinged category. But occasionally you'll see uh, small disturbances, maybe um, water spots or uh, adherences on the gum or some such like that where you can't really, if you call the stamp never hinged, which technically it is, then you have to mention with spots on the gum with adherent, you know, uh, fibers adhering to the gum, something like that. And so uh, it's kind of a judgment call for the finalizer, whether he wants to call it pH, previously hinged or never hinged with something on the gum. And I can tell you since um, somewhere between 35 and 45% of our customers happen to be dealers, they're trying to sell that stamp. And it makes the stamp much more saleable, even though it's technically not never uh, not hinged. Uh, they, for the most part, generally prefer it to be called previously hinged and just have no mention of uh, what's wrong with the gum. Uh, it just makes it easier to sell the stamp because it's a clean cert. Um, so that can be a little bit sticky, uh, and, it, and it's really up to the finalizer. It's a judgment call. Um, as far as going from previously hinged to just plain hinged, um, well, obviously a hinge remnant is going to 
drive you into the hinged category, no question at all. But then it becomes a, a discussion of, well, how much disturbance is there from the hinging and uh, how big is the area? How bad is the disturbance? And uh, there is a point where you kind of flip from previously hinged to just plain hinged. Um, and it usually is pretty ugly. Um, then you want to, then the f further after hinged is where does it change from hinged to disturbed original gum? And it can be uh, slightly disturbed, such as having come from a mount and having glazing over the entire surface. Doesn't really look too bad, but it's all over. Uh, or it can be just, you know, it's a larger portion of the stamp has been hinged and disturbed, either from hinge removals or just hinging. And uh, at which point you could call it disturbed. When it's been taken in and out of the book 65 times. Yeah. Oh, and we've seen those. Many yeah. times. And, I mean, you can have a light hinge, but then you can have additional disturbances from other things as well that could drive you into slightly disturbed or disturbed original gum. Um, but the key is that it's original gum. Well, I remember a person who, uh, it was Ron, as a matter of fact. Uh, hey, Ron. And uh, he had a officials collection. And the... It was old-time paper hinges, multiple paper hinges. Well, officials are typically, are, are, are traditionally heavily hinged anyway for whatever reason. So he removed the hinges because, I mean, it literally made the stamp about four times thicker. He removed I, all the hinge remnants, and it took probably a third of the gum off with it. I, I had a collection of officials that... Uh, almost all had heavily, heavy, heavy hinges with three, four, five hinges remnants on each. And uh, that was a, a collection that took me about three weeks of work. Um, but I got really good at removing old-time hinges mm. without using water. Oh, that's good. So, and, uh, you know, just trying different techniques, pulling and tugging and trying to get my tongs underneath a, a corner and different, you know, rubbing and different, different types of, uh, techniques. And I was, I was able to clean up that collection fairly well. And I probably added, I don't know, five or $6,000 to the collection. Oh yeah. Well, just by doing that. Well, when Ron got this collection, the fronts of the stamps were distorted by so much paper on the back. So what he did was he took a Q-tip and he will, it was, like I said, about three or four paper hinges, not... Yeah, no, no those you can't really peel. And so uh, he would, you know, put a Q-tip on it and he would soak the hinge. Yeah. And then the hinge would get wet and he'd lift that one off. Then he'd soak the next hinge. It would get weak and he'd pull that one off. And it was time consuming, but in the end, the stamps literally went from looking just terrible to looking very, very presentable. Except, like I said, they were missing probably a third of the gum. Yeah, and, it, and, well, that, and that would get you into the other category yes. of uh, part OG. Yeah, correct. And and usually most places will either say large part OG or small part OG, and and uh, you know small part OG can be as little as five or ten percent. Well, yeah. Uh, but large part OG is generally in the you know fifty sixty percent category. Yeah, I had one. But, but you'll have a, 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 
an area with little or no original gum. You may have hinge gum, but little or no original gum. Yeah, I had a uh, Great Britain number 33, plate 225, very valuable stamp. And it was put on a cover that was then hand-delivered, so it wasn't canceled or anything. So you had this really rare stamp on cover, and I used um, Stamp Lift. Oh, God, that was a disaster. Because I was trying to save as much gum, because I knew I was going to lose gum, but I wanted to get that part OG listing as opposed to the no gum listing. Right. And after using the Stamp Lift, there was so little gum left on the back that I should have just l- soaked it and took what I could get. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it was a it, it's a multi thousand dollar stamp, part OG. So. Yeah, you were trying to go for the brass ring, but. Well, I still got the brass brass ring because it was a relatively inexpensive purchase because the person didn't know it was a two twenty five. Anyway, so. Uh, also, it looks like that we he asked about thins, inclusions, adhesions, toning, and other conditions. Yeah, obviously thins. Uh, we talked about toning. Thins absolutely are going to affect condition and price. Uh, inclusions, adhesions, kind of go. We kind of covered um, inclusions that show only on the gum. They don't show on the face of the stamp. But you flip it over, and there's this nice black spot in the in the middle of this pristine gum. What do you do? <laughs> well, me, I just ignore. Punt. Yeah, <laughs> punt. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some of the experts punt. Some of them kill a stamp for it, and some of them just ignore it. Yeah. And I think the right answer is somewhere in the middle. Uh, it really depends on how distracting is it, and you know if you're buying a. A grade 100 never hinged stamp. Oh, it better have nice gum, yeah. Yeah, you better not have a nice black inclusion on the gum. But at the same time, if you're buying a grade 85 or a grade 90 stamp and it's lightly hinged or previously hinged, you know, uh, uh, an inclusion on the gum is really going to be who cares? Yeah. So an, an inclusion on the face of the stamp is what really kills you. Yes. So, uh, it, there is there is a bit of art to grading as well as uh, as the science of measuring the borders. Peter asked a very common question. He sent us pictures of a five cent pilgrim stamp, a four cent nineteen oh one grant stamp, and a one dollar memorial stamp from nineteen twenty seven. You can see the stamps in the show notes at stampshowheretoday.com. He writes, "There are the three stamps pictured below that I." We'll need catalog numbers and my cost of submitting to you for grading. Thank you. So his uh, question was, should these stamps be graded and uh, what's the cost? So let's ignore cost right now. When should a person submit a stamp for grading? Whenever they want. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. How about this? When should a person submit stamps for grading and not waste their money? When it is financially advantageous to. So if you expect that, a, if you look at a stamp and um, we try to help customers uh, estimate the grade before they, before they send stuff in. And you can learn how to grade by um, 
getting a measuring device and measuring, and then looking at the stamps and seeing where the 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 balance is. Is it is it dead on? Is it slightly left, slightly right, slightly to the top? And and then also looking at uh, already graded stamps with clean certificates without faults mentioned. And so you kind of, uh, as you go, you learn how to uh, estimate the grade before you send it in. Well, that's one thing you, you just said, which is the $99 qu- uh, part. What is it? 99? Well, there is a learning curve to grading. Yeah, but and it doesn't matter whether you're doing it here at PSE or whether you're doing it out But people will find home. stamps that are just gorgeous, and they don't check it for faults before they send it in. Yes, that is that is the ninety nine dollar question: is does it have faults? So it, you find a stamp that looks like wow, this thing is super well centered. Best I'll one I've it, ever seen. I'll send yeah. it in. Well, step back a second and just flip it over and check it for faults. Yeah, is there a big hinge thin on the back? Is there a corner crease? Is there a you know, is it missing three perforations on one side? Uh, these are things that people just completely don't even look at. Is there, you know, is it a picture of George Washington and he has this natural black inclusion on his nose that's the size of Texas? I mean, these are things that people don't even bother to check for. We got a... Uh, that, is, that are going to knock it out of uh, the, the category of I should submit this. We got a picture of a stamp today, a uh, special delivery stamp. And it, I think it was uh, an E11. It was gigantic. It was probably the largest one I've ever seen. And it was missing like three perfs at the top and two perfs on the right. I mean, it just, the perfs were terrible. But it was really well centered and it was gigantic. And he said, should I send it in? And I said, you know, the cert's going to cost you 30 bucks. And with the perf faults, I just don't think you're going to get the grade you want. If you, the perfs were all there, it would probably be a 98J, in which case the stamp would be worth hundreds of dollars. But with the perfs, you know, missing and torn off, you know, you're looking at a really interesting looking stamp, but it doesn't need a cert. Yes. So, uh, so you 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 have this stamp and you say, well, I think it's going to be a 95. So go to the SMQ, which we talked about earlier, and look up what does a grade 95 with that gum condition sell for? Or go online better right. so that we don't have to send you one. <laughs> right. So, so you look it up and it says this uh, normally $5 stamp sells for... $105 in grade 95. Okay, yes, that makes sense to send in. Well, what is the next grade down? Well, the next grade down is only $30. Hmm, now you got a decision to make because if you're overgraded by one grade, you've turned a $5 stamp into a $35 stamp, but now you have a 10 to 30 dollar fee on top of that if you're if you're paying only ten dollars you're you're going to be able to get your money out if you're paying thirty dollars that's a break even at best and we all know that people don't like to pay catalog value yeah they like to feel like they're getting a discount so that's probably not a winner 
If it's that E11, you're paying $30. If it's a three cent Prexy, yeah, presidential series, you know, it's then it's going to be a ten dollar cert, and uh, you're going to be okay. Well, yeah, you see this with moderns all the time. Is uh, a modern only cost uh, three cent uh, commemorative only costs ten bucks, but if you get a ninety five. You're only looking at a stamp that's worth five. You really need that 98. And if you get 100, then, you know, you've scored. But let's say you're going for the 98. So you want to get that $25, and, and, $30 stamp. Yeah, and, and the 98s. But, you, you know, if you're only shooting, if you're okay with 98s, you're going to get your money back out of it. And oh, you might make a little bit of money. Oh, you'll make more than a little bit. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, yeah, you you better be nice because, or you better be good because if you have a fifty percent fail rate, if you get ninety fives instead of ninety eights, all of a sudden your profits are like getting hit really really hard. And as a matter of fact, our next podcast is going to be on equipment that we suggest. Here's 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 where I kind of I agree that's the reality right now. But 95s are actually really good-looking stamps. Oh, yeah. And I would not hesitate to put a 95 in my collection, uh, even if it's a modern stamp, because they are really nice-looking stamps. They're just not rare enough to justify the higher cost. Well, if we compare it to coins... In coins, you have, uh, instead of being on a scale of 1 to 100, it's on a scale of 1 to 70. And everybody used to go for uh, 65s. 65 was like it. 65 is the equivalent in stamps of like a 98. And 64s and 63s, you know, in the very beginning, and we're talking, you know, before the year 2000. 64s and 63s, everybody said, oh, man, I didn't make it. I wasted my money. Well, today, 64s and 63s are absolutely collectible. People like 64s and 63s because 65s and 66s have gone up so high in value, nobody can afford them. I think that if you get 95s today, you're probably not going, you're going to lose money off your $10 cert fee. If you try to sell them If you try to sell it. I'll bet you in 10 years... They're absolutely worth it. People are going you know, to and it be, may be not treating be, it those may 95s be 15, exactly And it may be 15 or 20 years. Oh, but, I don't think it'll take but, that long. Well, they, that's what they said 10 years ago, and it, it kind of has moved a little bit slower than predicted. But oh, I think no, that, no, oh, no, I have to disagree. Uh, if you go back like 15 years on grading, 100s. That was all anybody wanted was 100s. If it true. didn't get a 100, nobody cared. I, I recall uh, it was probably... Over 10 years ago, uh, I saw a grade 98 never hinged complete set of Prexies, the -hmm. presidential series, all of it, 803 to 834, the entire set, graded 98, matched, and they couldn't sell it. How much do you think they wanted for it? Oh, I don't know, but $650. Holy crap, really? Yes. Now you can't even get that set. And you probably couldn't, if it was available, you probably couldn't buy it for less than three to five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to think. Yeah. It's just in, they're incredibly hard to find. Yeah, when, and then to get a complete set on top of that. Yeah, 
you know, that that'll drive a premium at any time. Well, the yeah, again, in the beginning, everybody said I there three cent commemoratives are common. I only want 100s and 98s are a waste of money. All of a sudden, everybody goes, you know, 98s, that's that, you know, 100s are tough. Hundreds are tough. I mean, even with a stamp that you may have printed half a million of, you know, yeah. you might have, you look at the pop report and there's like even four number 100. Even considering screening sheets, if you're looking at sheets and you've got 50 stamps on a sheet for a, a basic commemorative stamp from that era, you screen your sheets for decent looking centering with potential. You're still going to have to go through probably 30 or 40 sheets just to come up with a couple of 100 grays. Oh, I no, you couldn't do that with 30 or 40 sheets. I would say you go through 30 or 40 sheets, you might come up with a couple 98s. It depends on the issue. And it depends well, that's on, true. and you're pre-screening these, so it's yeah. not like you're it, it's not like you're just accepting a random sampling. No, that's true. So, I I would say you'd probably come up with a couple of 100s, but not many more than that. And so well, the, if you figure, okay, 40 sheets, that's what, 2,000 stamps? Yeah. Okay, so you get one or two in 2,000 stamps, and these have already been pre-screened. Yeah, so actually you're looking so, at one or two out of 10,000 stamps or 10,000. I, I would say or more. Or more, yeah. And and so, you know, when when you consider that, oh, well, they only printed – you know, 1.2 million or 3.2 million or something like that, then uh, you realize that, yeah, hundreds can be really rare because a lot of the stamps did get used. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, look at the Iwo Jima stamp, which right now the highest value um, modern graded one grade 100 stamp is the Iwo Jima stamp. When just sold at auction last year for, I think, $425. And they printed a lot of those. But, Absolutely. But you can't find them. Well, it, that's because they're collected by stamp collectors, but they're also collected by military collectors. Yeah. It's one of those cross-collectibles that... Uh, well, know, the, well, the one prior that was the most But it's also a difficult issue. It's yeah. a difficult issue to find well-centered for whatever reason. Either, the, you know, a lot of them got used and thrown away. Well, it's like the uh, overrun countries. The overrun countries are incredibly well printed. I mean, just in, it, it was done by not. It was not done by the post office uh, bureau of engraving and printing. Yeah, it's the, it's one of the. It, on, on between the eighteen nineties and the nineteen eighties, that is uh, one of. It's it's it stands alone as not being printed by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and they did a fantastic job. And yeah. finding ninety eights on that one is nothing. They're right. easy to find. You can yes. find hundreds, but this issue before it, all of a sudden, nothing. The famous Americans is, you know, there's incredibly a incredibly difficult. There's a lot of the famous Americans where like there's a number one hundred. Yeah, there's one. There's there's still a, a handful. Where there's only one that's been graded so far. Yeah, I remember when uh, grading first started, a person was just said, you know, I'm going to make money. I'm going to put together like grade 100 and grade 98 sets of uh, the Army, Navy, and the famous Americans. And after several years, he made zero complete sets. Of the famous Americans. Yeah. 
the, the Army Navy, because it's such a uh, much smaller set, was a little bit, he had a bit, little bit better luck at that. Did he make a 100 set? I don't think he made a 100 set. I think he made a couple of 98 sets. The Army Navy, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, but the hundred, yeah, the the famous Americans, the first number, what was it, 888? Well, I tried to do that with the Civil War issue, 61 oh, yeah. to 65 issue. Common stamps. Common stamps. And couldn't do it. And uh, I finally got my grade 100 set, but uh, there was one stamp in the set. There's still only one 100. Yeah. And, uh, and, but along the way, I found one of them in 100 Jumbo, so, yeah. <laughs> which I ended up selling. And, well, the problem with the 100J is then you don't have a matched set. Yes. Which is why I sold it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had it on the set registry for a while. Yep. And obviously you can't do better than that because yep. I had top pop on all of them. But when I sold 100 Jumbo, now I couldn't have it in my set anymore. That's true. You but, hate me. Why didn't you get... But nobody can beat me on the set registry because <laughs> I still have the single loan 100 for the other issue. And what is... How do you pronounce that? Zdarko? That's what I'm asking. What are you Z talking about? The next letter. <laughs> Zdravko? Stravko. Stravko. Go with Stravko. Stravko. Yeah. Oh, we're going with that. You hate me, don't you? All these <laughs> names. I'm like, you can't pronounce it. Actually, he just made them all up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think he did. He just you know, threw some random letters together. <laughs> I think he was throwing a ball at the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Stravko writes... Dear Sirs, attached you can see trial proof on thicker paper, 24 cent Curtis Jenny. That is all I know about it. Which be so kind and let me know if this is from time of original development or the reprint trials. Is there any value for this trial? Well, having no image, I have no clue. No, this is the uh, press sheet. Discuss the uh, inverted Jenny press sheet. Okay. Uh, da, 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 where are we at? Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. The press sheets aren't 24 cents. That is true. No, they're not. It was actually the $2 value. Well, if it's a $2 value, I'll be... Okay. So for the for the inverted Jenny, <clears throat> you have... Or for the Jenny issue, you have two, two issues. You have the original issue from 1918... That is, those are 24 cents, and obviously you have the invert error. And then you have the modern printing, which is $2 face value, and those are all invert, inverted, yet you have the right side up as the sought-after version. And this was the $2 version. Yes. So along with the, uh, the reissue of the $2 version... Uh, the Postal Service created a collectible souvenir, souvenir th box of different things. And they had uh, color proofs, trials, uh, wipes, and uh, an imperfect sheet, uh, things like that. And it was 200 bucks. And it was $200. Oh, it had a book with it also. Yes. And you had to pre-order it. Uh, when they were printed and were released, uh, you could not buy another one. Um, they had closed the sales and they would they weren't selling them. It's almost three. I gotta go. 
Oh. Okay. Okay, why don't we go ahead and end it here then? Okay. We'll, we'll address these we, for the we, next one. We can talk about that in, in yeah. another Plus, time. so you guys can continue. We're at 45 minutes, so. No, 45 is fine. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening. This has been Stamp Show Here Today, episode number 208. This was Tom. This is Scott. This was Cash. And this is Dawn. You have been listening to Stamp Show Here Today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.